am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back to Legendary Mindset. I'm your host, Jake P. Richardson. And this week's episode is with Megan Hobbs. Megan is a very familiar face in the industry. Her and her husband, Joe, raise high-quality competitive show lambs there in Kansas. And if you know them, you know their favorite thing to do is go to sheep sales and shows and see their friends. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoy it. It turned out really good. So you, have, you had some sheep showing today, right? In the market lamb yeah, show. Yeah, we did. What? Um, how many did you have? Um, I think we had like four or five showing today. You had you? That's I think one was third overall breed. Third Which, overall cross. There you go. What? What? Who was on that one? Uh, uh, Clayton Washman. There you go. I didn't. I didn't watch hardly any of the sheep show, but I heard it was tough out there, and and he did the, the judge did a really good job sorting them. Yeah, the crosses. Uh, that ended up being probably the toughest drive of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Caleb did a good job today. I really enjoyed listening to him on the mic. So happy for Dwayne Herleman, uh, one of my mentors, uh, that one, uh, and the team behind that one. Oh, yeah. I saw that one. Okay, I did watch the grand drive. I thought that one looked really nice out there. Um, so third overall cross. How many how many classes were out there? I think there the was crosses? like 10 classes of crosses today. It's pretty tough. There was a lot of sheep out there. There was. That was the biggest breed. So There you go. So right now we're we're in a horse stall at the uh, the fairgrounds here in Tulsa. We just got done showing goats and lambs. Um, so Megan, what uh what's your day to day right now? Um, like what do you do when you wake up in the morning and go to work? Like what does your day look like? I guess. Oh gosh, Jake. So if uh, if people know me, they know that I'm the early riser. Um, my brain starts thinking as soon as I wake up in the morning. Um, my job. So I'm the group R and D leader for Cargill Protein. Um, and most weekdays, I mean, that's my focus. Uh, I get up and start thinking about work and what we need to do for the day for the team. Um, but also just now that with COVID, I don't have to go in the office every day. So it's kind of nice being home with Joe and understanding what's also going on with the operation from a day-to-day perspective. But come the end of the day, 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'm going to be in bed. Mm-hmm. Is it all, uh, all your work, is it like video chat now? Yeah, we use a lot of Microsoft Teams. Um, I can still go into the office. Um, we, we run an innovation center, so my group does product development. So we really never shut down that facility during COVID because our customers were still expecting us mm-hmm. uh, to do things for them. So I really just look at, okay, what do I have on my schedule? And if I need to be in person, I'll go in. If not, uh, I'm going to sit in my office with a nice pretty view out mm-hmm. towards the barn, just kind of enjoy the day. You guys do have – your barn is a pretty barn. I mean, it just kind of goes with the scenery. When you roll up, it's like, wow, this is like an old school, like this is a farm right here. So it's, uh, it's interesting. So when we needed to move back to Kansas from Iowa, uh, we had been looking for like four months for mm-hmm. a place. And we just weren't finding something that wasn't like a fix-up house or fix-up barn. And I was there for work. And I went and looked at that place. And I called Joe from the front of the horse barn where we lamb. And I said, this is the place. We're going to buy it. And he started asking questions. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, this is, this it. is it. Like, we are buying this place. So you guys, I didn't know you lived in Iowa before. So you're not... You're not from Kansas. No, I grew up in southern Indiana. Um, those that know southern Indiana, we actually call it like Kentuckyana because we're so close to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and then after 
uh, high school, I went to Oklahoma State University, where I got my undergrad and my master's. And then I actually uh, moved to Springdale, Arkansas, where I worked for Tyson Foods uh, for a few years, and then moved to Cargill and lived there in Wichita for about four years, met Joe. And on a whim one day, I just went in and asked my boss and said, can I work from Iowa and work from home? So is that where Joe is from Iowa? No, Joe's from Minnesota. Um, oh it's it's kind of crazy. So he went to school at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after graduating from Iowa State, he moved back to Minnesota for a little bit and then moved back to Iowa. And whenever I met him, he was actually living with uh, Joel and Aaron Morkel. Really? So from what I've understood, like jobs in Cargill and that industry, they keep you moving constantly, especially when you first get the job. Is, is that kind of why you guys ended up all over the world? Um, a little bit. Whenever I moved to Iowa, I was traveling a bunch. Mm-hmm. And so my boss was okay with me just being close to an airport and being able to drive back to Wichita or drive to one of our plants. And then um, I was fortunate to get promoted a few times. Mm-hmm. And with that second promotion, the job was in Wichita. So we had to make the tough decision to move to Kansas and it was moving back to Kansas and Joe moving to Kansas for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that, you know, there's probably an opportunity in the future where we might have to have that conversation of us moving again. Um, it'll probably cross paths sooner than we mm-hmm. want it to. Um, but it's something that we know with my career, we're going to have to make that decision. There you go. So y- would you describe yourself as the sugar mama in the relationship? <laughs> no, I wouldn't describe me as that. Um, it, it's it's funny because we both like have unique things that we bring either to the sheep operation or just um, you know to to our marriage. And I'm the one that's probably you know blunt and very outspoken. And Joe's the quiet guy in the corner oh, yeah. and not gonna go talk to everybody. Yeah, you guys are different people completely but it goes so well together it does we I tell people like we know our role Mm -hmm. you know he does all the breeding he does all the mating Um, he is a true shepherd when it comes to just like sheep health and um, production and understanding that and I bring in like the business of financial savvy mindset as well as the marketing Mm -hmm. and social media and trying to really just promote our our sheep all over the U.S. you're a pretty social person you know I, you have a lot of friends. I mean, you go places and, you, you know, you have good conversations. I feel like that's kind of your, your role in it. Yeah, friends are my family, you know. Um, we didn't grow up with our family around us, and so I just made friends easy. Um, and I really value the friendships that we have. Um, and so I have some really close friends, and those close friends have also been mentors either at work in my career or also in the sheep industry. For sure. So you kind of blasted through it there in the, in the beginning. We got a whole life story in about 30 <laughs> seconds. So let's jump back. You said you said Joe's the shepherd. Um, so did he grow up raising sheep, and, and or did you have any experience when you were young doing it? Yeah, so Joe got into sheep because he wanted to steer his first year in 4-H, and his dad said, no, you need to have a sheep. Um, I grew up having sheep my whole life. Um, and so it was, we started out with purebred Dorsets and was more of a breeding sheep mm-hmm. individual. You know, we showed some market lambs. They weren't really competitive. And my dad actually, my dad and my mom, they made me buy my first animals and then they never paid for anything else. So that's where I got my first appreciation for understanding like the value of money and what were you going to spend it on. Uh, So it's kind of a unique background and it wasn't until I got to college or there my senior year of high school that I really understood more about the club lamb industry. 
Um, and I attribute that to Dwayne Herleman taking me in. Um, met a lot of people working at his house every weekend uh, throughout my undergrad and my master's. And also Jake Dooley met him once he transferred from NEO mm -hmm. to Oklahoma State. And he was helped in, helping the Wenton Clifton family. Um, and we were going all over. And so Jake and I would get in my little car, go to Iowa, look for lambs uh, for the Clifton family. And that's whenever I started meeting more individuals. Mm -hmm. So I'm very thankful for those two. Um, and it's been, it's been fun. Oh, yeah. um, so you went to Oklahoma State. That's kind of – you said you were in the Sheep Center there? No. No, I was um, – I, I actually didn't do anything with the Sheep Center really? um, while I was at Oklahoma State. So I focused on uh, meets judging. I was on the meets judging team. We won the national championship and then got my master's in meat science. Um, so at that time, Crutcher um, was managing the sheep unit, and he only had a few individuals that worked out there. So most of my time – on uh, my free time was actually spent down – at Dwayne Herleman's place in Cordell. How'd you, how'd you meet Dwayne, or how'd you guys come across each other? So um, that freshman year, whenever I had moved to Stillwater uh, for college, my sister could still show, and she needed some market lambs, and so we thought, well, let's get a Dorset market lamb or two for her. And he was, Dwayne was raising incredible Dorsets at this point. I mean, I'm pretty certain there was nobody mm. that could touch him when he was in the Dorsets. Oh, yeah. Um, it was pretty amazing what he was doing. He was winning everywhere. You know, Holly was just starting to show, too, and she was winning uh, Dorsets. I remember they would drag one or two Dorsets, and they would often two-hole it, too. Oh, yeah. So you meet Dwayne, you go buy a Dorset, and just kind of became friends after that? Or did, how, did, how did that relationship, you know, become professional, and how did you guys start working together? Yeah, I, th I think it was probably just persistence, you know. Um, Dwayne's a, a very good individual that you can talk to. Um, and so I just asked him, like, hey, do you need help? And I remember the first sheep sale I went to with him was in Perry, Oklahoma. Um, and then from there, he just kept asking if I would come help or if I had a free weekend, I'd call and see if he needed help. And I'd go down on Friday night, and I wouldn't leave until Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So when you were showing and when you were young, were you, you – know, Obviously, you were doing it every year, and you liked it, but, like, were you, like, involved, like, competitive? Did you want to, like, get after it, or? Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up with much in terms of, you know, being able to have financial backing because my dad made me buy after everything yeah. after the first year. Um, but... <clears throat> You know, we, we showed a lot of breeding sheep. So we're talking like fitted breeding sheep yeah. where you don't have time to socialize. Mm -hmm. All you're doing you're is like carding and using hand trimmers. And we were more successful in that than we were in uh, the market lambs at the time. And we had got partnered with Mike and Leslie Nelsch out of Ohio. Um, and they kind of took us under their wing, started showing us um, about, you know, what good fitted dorsets at that time looked like. Um, and so we would buy some from them. Um, also at that time, towards the end, uh, got introduced to Evan Snyder. Um, and then actually in college, Evan and I and a guy from Urbana, Ohio, Gus Ross, and Aaron Hubbard, we created Mega Farms. And so we ran Dorsets. Um, Evan kept them at his grandma's. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the last go of mine with fitted dorsets was, uh, I think it was like my sophomore, junior year of college. Really? So when you got done showing, say when you were 18, before you moved to Oklahoma, did you think to yourself, I'm going to stay involved in this sheep. I really like this. Or was it kind of just, you know, I'm just going to go to college and figure it out? You know, I didn't think at that time I would stay involved in the sheep as competitively as we are today. 
Um, I've always had a passion for agriculture. I actually went to school thinking I was going to be an ag teacher because my dad was an ag teacher. But it wasn't until I started working at Duane's where I really found a love for understanding more about the club lamb industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it never, like, I, I wouldn't have said that it was my dream to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of, the cards fell into place, and here we are today. Uh, so just very thankful that that opportunity came about. Um, one of the things I, I do know is I'm very thankful that we're not still carding sheep mm-hmm. and using hand trimmers and well, all that some work. Pe- some people are. <laughs> yes, some people are. But um, uh, it wasn't until like my sophomore year of college that I took a meat judging class and they asked us to be on the meat judging team that I was like, hey, this could be a career. Everybody needs to eat. And so it just... That's your career now. It is my career, yeah. And so it was... um, I'm thankful that I'm not an ag teacher. You know, I see what they do, especially here in the state of Oklahoma and how much time they put into it. Legendary Mindset will be right back after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pagliaro Bohan Club Lambs. They're having their first ever bread you sale this Wednesday, October 7th on Willoughby Sales. And they're selling 25 lots of bread used, exposed used, and ewe lambs. And there's going to be crossbreds in there. There's some south downs as well. And the cool thing about these, and then there's some of those mature ewes in there that are bred that are due on October 18th. So you could potentially have your entire investment made back in about 80 days after the sale. Um, but every ewe in there has a story. If you read through those write-ups, uh, whether she's a twin to a champion or a keeper buck, um, but lot one is actually beg for its mom. They're selling um, one of their best bucks they've had in the last f- five years, I'd say. Um, they're going to sell that one's mom and beg for it. If you don't know him, uh, did an incredible job for Pags and Matt Perkins, uh, not only making champions, but now you see his name on the bottom side of a lot of their champions' pedigrees. Anyways, check it out. Willoughby Sales, October 7th. Uh, Pagliaro Bohan, bread you sale. You know, but the cool thing about ag teachers is they put all that time into it, but all of them love it, and you can tell. You know, they show up to your house, and, you know, they're fired up. They're like, let's find these sheep, and they're always, you know, looking for deals, and they're kind of they're fun to hang out with. And they share the same passion oh, yeah. that all of us do. So it's pretty cool um, what they do, and very thankful for them, too. Yeah, very selfish job. I mean, tons of hours, and but I think, I think it seems pretty rewarding for them. Very rewarding. So... I was on a wool judging team in college, and the first day that we had wool judging practice, my coach explained to me, explained to the whole team, he says, okay, in this country there are X amount of wool producers or, or, or wool warehouses and processing plants. And he's like, there are three wool buyers. So the stuff you're learning here, there's only three jobs in the country where you could actually use all this information. And I was like, what? And then I started thinking, you know, meat judging, there are – thousands and thousands of careers did you did you think when you were on those judging teams like this is what I this is exactly what I want to do or or did it kind of just evolve after you got done and kind of worked out yeah so it um, I had two internships in college and they were both for USDA Um, the first summer I actually spent time in the plant meat grading Uh, the second summer I was in Washington DC working at their office uh, from there, that's where I like found a passion, and I said, hey, I want to go get my master's mm-hmm. in meat science. Um, and while I was in grad school, it's where I was introduced to uh, 
Craig Bacon, who was the vice president of research and development at Tyson Foods. And it's actually a funny story because I worked for Craig for two years and he took me underneath his wing whenever I started at Tyson. And still today, Craig and Debbie are some of our customers. And so it's something that I tell all tell people all the time whenever they work for me, like don't burn bridges because I remember the day I left Tyson. I actually went and told Craig, and we talked about it at his county fairway. He was washing a Hereford. Oh my and gosh. if I would have left on a bad note, who knows? They may not be customers of Hobbs Show Lambs today. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Every time I get a, you know, a promotion or get a new opportunity at Cargill, I always text Craig and tell him thank you for mm-hmm. investing in me while I was in grad school and giving me that opportunity to go work at Tyson. Because if he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have shown me what research and development's about. He wouldn't have shown me what corporate world's about. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be where I am today if he wouldn't have taken the chance on me. For sure. So you talked about, you know, going to school and getting your master's degree. And, your, you know, your career is a lot of, you know, business world stuff. Um, was school, like, did it come easy for you or did you not enjoy Like, how did, how did that, you know, go for you? Was it, you know, difficult? Oh, man. Or were you super smart and just, did you never study? Were you, were you that, that student that never had to study ever? No. Looking back... <laughs> I wish I would have taken school or, you know, college more seriously mm-hmm. than I did. Um, we definitely had a lot of fun oh, yeah. at the Copper Penny. Um, you know, it was a lot of late nights and a lot of money spent on alcohol. I was at the Copper Penny two nights ago. Great place. Oh, great place. Yeah, so I, I wish I would have taken it more seriously than I did. But I think additionally, like a lot of things that I've learned are things that you learn after you get out of school, things that you learn to appreciate more of. And you didn't realize that when you're young, having fun, going to college. And I was 13 hours away from home or 12 hours away from home. So I was kind of on my own. And now I'm like, that was some of the funnest days of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I w- somebody asked me, said, hey, you want to go to Stillwater tonight? I really wish I could go to Stillwater tonight, but I got to work tomorrow. Megan, do you want to go to Stillwater tonight? I would love to, but I have to be. Yes. <laughs> I can't do Just that. Say yes. <laughs> so I guess um, kind of on that same subject, you know, looking back and the way you started showing, you said you had to pay for them all yourself. You know, and maybe you're looking back, you're like, man, I wish my parents, if they would have just done this and then this, we could have won so much. But, you know, would you really want to change your path at that point? Do you think that starting that way, you know, created you know, the, the fire in your gut? It, it definitely created the fire in my gut when it comes to financials mm-hmm. and understanding and um, from a business aspect. I remember my dad made me take out an FSA loan to buy some uh, breeding stock. And just knowing that you had to pay that loan back. Yes, it was interest-free because I was young, but what I know now and the things that I instill and like just my life in general, like people know I'm kind of tight. Um, but people also know, like, I want to enjoy life. If I want something, you know, let's try to buy it, but you can't get there without having that understanding over time. And I'm very thankful that my parents did that to me because if they just would have gave that to me, I probably wouldn't have the same appreciation that I have now. And oftentimes, my mom passed away whenever um, I was in grad school. And you look back and you're like, man, my mom rode my butt for a reason. Mm -hmm. And we despised each other at that time growing up. 
But now, like I'm so thankful for what she did. I didn't know as a young kid why she was doing that. But now, like I have some of that same, you know, fire in me from what she taught me. I'm glad that, I'm glad that you said that because I, I thought that to myself a lot, especially when I moved out. Like I remember growing up, my dad would be like, <clears throat> you know, what, Jake, this is how you, you know, this is how you do this or, you know, fix this right here. And I'm just like, kind of like rolling my eyes like, why are we, I don't want to know how to like fix a plug. Like what, I'm not going to be an electrician, dad, you know, stuff like that. And then when I became an adult, I was like, man, I'm really glad my dad taught me that. And I, and I never, re- you know, thought it would happen. And it just slowly, just one thing after another, just made life easier for me. Yeah. And, you know, not only does it make life easier for us today, but what we do and what we've done at Hobbs Lambs with trying to give back so much mm-hmm. is because I had to get help whenever I was a kid. Joe and I don't have kids. And so what we like to do is we like to help our customers mm-hmm help our friends. Um, We try to give back as much money as we can just because we understand like how we were raised and what we want to do giving back to the youth and try to help out because when when we were both Mm -hmm. doing this like we didn't have much. We had to learn on our own and people invested their time in us to get us where we are. Either then we still also have mentors today that we'll talk to either about work or about sheep but they're investing in us, and the only way to make this next generation better is for us to give back. Megan, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think you have a lot of kids. You have a lot of kids. I, I do have a lot of kids. You know, um, most people think I'm uh, a hard person to get to know. Uh, the other night— what? Yeah, I mean, I don't come off as, like, the most approachable person. You're an open book. <laughs> I am open book. There you go. But we, I was at um, our friend's house that we've got really close with in Kansas, and uh, we were calling it our fireside chat. And the dad was like, you know, Megan, you're like a high chew, kind of hard on the outside and then soft on the inside, and you just don't know what you're going to get. And so I was like, okay, Boggs, whatever. I don't unapproachable I don't I know what unapproachable people look like you don't seem unapproachable you, you carry a smile on your face pretty often <laughs> only maybe uh after a few drinks but okay. uh when it comes go time like I'm I'm very serious uh, you can just ask Kyler and Allison uh they've got some butt chewings for me mm. uh, back whenever they were showing our sheep so Kyler and Allison those are two of your kids that you know a lot of people know um they're from Kansas, so how did those relationships start? Did they were they friends and they show up, or did they become friends through you, or how'd that work out? So it's it's interesting. The first time they came to our house, um, I wasn't there. Joe was showing the sheep that first year, and then they came back the second year. And this was our second year living living in Kansas, and we Joe and I kind of divide and conquer when it comes to show and sell season. And I would always go to Midwest Elite or to the sales. By myself and so Kyler and Allison show up and we're looking at sheep and I'm like I feel like these two could help out at Midwest Elite and Premier 10 so I just met them that day but by the time they left I'm like hey do you guys want to go to Indianapolis or yeah Indianapolis with me and Allison's like well I guess we better ask our parents <laughs> I hadn't met them until that day so that's kind of the start of our friendship what what year was that oh that would have been Four years ago, so probably 2016. Really? I think I think 2016 was the first year I met Kyler and Allison, and I was pretty sure Kyler was like 20. 
Okay, so this is a funny story about okay. Kyler. So that they, they're going to Midwest Elite with us. Mm-hmm. And also that same year, Rookstools went with us, who they're from Kansas and show some sheep and goats. And I was tired of driving. So I'm like, Kyler, can you drive? So we pull over. Kyler gets in the seat. And he starts driving. And then we, like, I don't know what made me ask. And I'm like, hey, how often do you, you know, are you a good driver? Like, we got this big truck and trailer on. <laughs> and Kyler's like, yeah, I drive trucks and trailers all the time. I'm like, well, how long have you had your license? And he looks at me and he says, one day. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, Joe Hobbs is not going to be impressed right now. <laughs> was he? Was he actually telling? Was he telling the truth? He has license for one day. Yes, he was telling the truth, and it was like I told everybody that weekend. I'm like, can you believe I just let this kid that's only had his license for one day that I just met ask him to go with me get behind the truck and trailer? So I have bad road rage, which is why road rage has his name, one of our books. Oh, okay. And Joe always tells me like, pretend like you got a big egg mm-hmm. in your trailer. So I'm not slamming on the brakes or taking the curve very hard. And then here I am. I just let Kyler get behind the truck. And, oh, it's crazy. He do a good job? He did a great job. Kyler is a really good hand, and um, he's been very helpful at the farm, helpful mm-hmm. at Hobshell Lambs, uh, moves a lot of sheep for us, helps out on pitcher day. We actually lamb out some of his ewes for him, mm-hmm. again, just trying to help kids out that want to be like Joe and I were. Mm-hmm. He kind of describes you guys as like a second set of parents. And you guys spend a lot of time together. You know, he's always, always over at Hobbs. Yeah, um, hopefully all the time he calls us second set of parents um, because sometimes we will be, you know, just straight up honest with him, like give him the mother-dad talk if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kyler's a good kid, you know. He um, has learned a lot. He also asks a lot of questions very similar to just trying to do it on his own and come up. So I feel like Kyler's one of those kids that, like you, like we were talking about, that probably didn't, you know, have everything handed to him. You know those early days, and he kind of had to, had to hustle for everything that he had. Do you, and that's kind of maybe what's kind of made Kyler what he is is you know that hustle that he had to develop early on. Yeah, you know, uh, you really have to appreciate what he does and um, the hustling, the working. You know, fitting goats here, um, being behind the scenes. Uh, the kid hustled. The kid has a passion, um, and that's you know people. That <laughs> Shut up, Ty. <laughs> Ty and Nicole are just celebrating yeah, they're, they're uh, Sadie's excited. awesome goat day uh, here at the Tulsa State Fair. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, Kyler is helping us. Kyler helps us fit goats. He's an incredible goat fitter. Do you ever show more than one goat in his life? You know, I think he might have shown a few, yeah. but not like he's fitting on today. Yeah. That's for that's for sure. And but um, yeah, he, he trades a bunch of sheep, and he <clears throat> buys a bunch of them from y'all. Um, so I've been to your place, I think, twice to look at sheep. Like we were talking about earlier, beautiful barn um, just b- blends in and looks beautiful with Kansas in the background. Um, like I said, Joe is the head shepherd there. So he did he grow up showing? We didn't. Let's kind of get into that. How yeah. His early days. So Joe, uh, he he grew up showing sheep, but it really wasn't until. Let's see, his brother, you know, we have this old Featherlight trailer that we pull around, and it's like 2002 mm-hmm. Minnesota State Fair champion, and everybody's like, well, who won that? Well, his brother Jeff actually won that, and it wasn't until um, he got to college where he got in with Morkles and Bots, mm-hmm. 
and started just, you know, understanding more. Colby Birch was Joe's roommate. Really? Also Graham D. Uh, they were on the same judging team together. And so that's when he started, like, getting serious and understanding uh, more about, you know, just the club lamb industry and building up his herd. Mm -hmm. So how would you guys initially meet? Love, love at first sight? Um, Jake, there's some things that – Probably shouldn't be mentioned. Just on the say podcast. it. <laughs> so um, we were at Sedalia. Um, Joe actually went with Ryan and Carrie Mortweed mm -hmm. to Sedalia. I think they were staying in the camper um, then. And so because I had traveled with Jake. There are so many stories that start out <laughs> exactly like that one just did. But continue. <laughs> yeah. So um, through traveling with Jake, like I'd met these people. And so I'd hang out with them at Sedalia. And Jill Schmillen had, like, secretly been planning and telling Joe's mom, like, hey, I got this friend. I think Joe would like her trying to get us together. So I met Joe at Sedalia. And then Joe played hard to get. Really? Um, yeah, he played hard to get. And I think, uh, you know, now I know why mm -hmm. he did. Like, that's just Joe. At the time where you're like, I'm, like, way out of this guy's league. What is he <laughs> doing, like, big time in me like this? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what was going through my head. Um, but we talked for like six months and then, uh, Jake and Mackenzie Clifton, they were showing sheep at Sioux Falls and we were going to go look at sheep after Sioux Falls. And so Joe and I kept talking a little bit while I was selling ads for ringside and I'm like, well, you should come to Sioux Falls. Mm -hmm. And if you know me, like I need to be on time. Mm -hmm. Like we were late growing up all the time like late to church it was the worst thing ever. it was the worst it was embarrassing so now i just want to be early yeah. everywhere just to make up make up for you know, old times exactly <laughs> joe was late and i think he'll even tell you like the first thing i did when he showed up was i looked at my watch and i pointed to it like hey you're late I said, hey good afternoon joe <laughs> and he hasn't left since so uh but no it's it's been a great marriage um you know some of our Best friends are each other's best friends, um, and a lot of them are couples in the sheep industry, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Y'all go together like peas and carrots. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> so, did, uh, so he went to school. What was, was he, did he plan on, you know, wanting to raise sheep for a living, or was, what was his career path before you guys got married? So, that's interesting. Uh, Joe has, like, this, um, passion for the dairy industry really? so whenever he was in college you know he was interested in sheep but after college he actually went back and worked on uh, the dairy while still having some ewes mm -hmm. and then really started increasing his herd whenever or his flock whenever he moved to Iowa um, the first group of ewes that he bought was some ewes from Donnie Bogolka yeah. um, and then that's kind of been the base of who Hob Showlambs is I didn't bring much to the to the party. Mm -hmm. Joe has the brains. He understands the breeding. He had all the, the backing of the ewes. The, what you brought to the party was, in fact, the party, I believe. The party, <laughs> yeah. So, um, But if you would have known Joe back in the day, Joe liked to party. Um, really? You know, I think Tyson even mentioned it in, in his podcast. Um, there was this bar. I've never been to it, but they called it the Fox. And Steva talks about, you know, like when she would go to the bar and like see Joe Hobbs at the Fox in Ames. Um, oh but those those boys like to have fun back in the day. There you go. So at the point you guys, how long, so how long did you date before you got married? 
Well, we dated, uh, Joe and I were just talking about this the other night, um, how long that was. I think it was about two years before we got engaged. Mm -hmm. And then um, we got engaged in 2010, and then we got married in 2011. There you go. So you had a career with you know, the meat processing companies at that point, right? Yeah, I was working for Cargill um, mm -hmm. at that time when we met. And we actually lived together for a year in Iowa before we got married. Um, and it was my job that allowed us to move to Iowa. He was already living there. Uh, we just needed to move closer to where I could be have access to the plants and for work to drive back to Wichita. Um, and so we lived in Persia, Iowa. And it was actually very good for Hobshillams with our location, with us doing that. Um, prior to that, Joe lived in Kanawha, and so it was kind of off of the beaten path, like only if people were going to north-central Iowa to come. But when we moved to Persia, it's right north of Council Bluff, so it's like right where 680 and 80 come together. And so we would get a lot of people going to rules or a lot of people coming from rules going just to other traffic. places, yeah, just with the cross traffic. Uh, so that was really the, the best start that we had in terms of getting visitors to the farm, um, letting them see what our program was about. We were still in the building phase. Oh, yeah. it, he was also, when we lived in Iowa, working for Cargill. Mm -hmm. um, so he worked there for a little bit, and only when we moved to, uh, to Newton, where we live now, we made the decision about six months in, for him to be a full-time shepherd, we decided to increase the herd uh, to the numbers that we have and just slowly built it over mm -hmm. time. Uh, so that's kind of the base of the 350 ewes that we have is once we made that decision, we went from 70 ewes in Iowa and just started increasing it so it makes sense for him to be um, the shepherd. Was there like a, an influence behind that decision? Like maybe like you got a promotion or the, you know, the sheep started doing well or, or how did you guys kind of come to that? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for my career um, and us moving whenever I got the promotion to be director of beef research and development for Cargill at that time. Uh, we were sitting in a pretty good place where we could take that risk mm -hmm. on. Um, but when you think about it, when you have two people working and it was just painful, right? Mm -hmm. So Joe would have to leave at seven, be at work at eight, and then he wouldn't get home till six. And to have that many use and try to lamb them out we were spending more on labor and you know it's not it's not cheap when you have labor or you're trusting somebody else to lamb out the use mm -hmm. so we just said hey it's going to be better for joe to do that and us to have control of that and so that was kind of what went into this decision making process we were also in a place that we got more land in iowa everybody farms their front yard mm -hmm. if you haven't oh, seen yeah. it they can get a planter in there they're mm -hmm. going to plant beans or corn uh, so we were able to actually increase the number of acres that we have and our setup that allowed us to grow. So how many how many ewes do you have right now? So when you ask somebody that does a lot of flushing work, you know, how many ewes they have? With and without recips. With and re without recips, right. So I think our highest number that we'll have at one time is about 350 head. And then just depending upon the number of open recips that you have or also the number of ewes that we're going to sell in the bread to ewe sell, we may not lamb out that many or... Um, you know, expose that many ewe lambs that we keep back. So it kind of fluctuates. Mm -hmm. A good number that we often tell people is like 275. Mm -hmm. But if you have a good day with recips and you need to have a bunch, you may end up, you may have a lot more ewes than you had planned oh, yeah. on having. It just, you put your hands in Mother Nature. We flush twice a year. So it's kind of up to her on the number of ewes that we have. So I understand you guys have, you know, a satellite kind of deal or whatever you want to call it. And for people who live in the southern part of the country and who don't 
experience Amish people on, on a regular basis might not even think that they exist. So what is your satellite and how does that work out? Yeah, we've, we've been very fortunate. It's, it's actually a pretty cool story how we got in um, with the Amish community there in, in Yoder, Kansas. When we were moving to uh, Kansas, we needed a place to put some of our recips that we had from RSG, and we needed a place to move some ewes. And so one day I was out driving around, and I was in the Amish community, and I'm like, I think this guy might have place to feed our ewes. Mm-hmm. So I just rolled in there. I was actually driving Cadillac, and I was in my work clothes, so I was dressed up. He was driving the Mustang. And he was driving Mustang, no. And I'm just like, hey, would you be interested in feeding some ewes? He's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, I'll pay you just to feed them for like three months until we move down here. And he's like, well, I need to think about it. And I'm like, all right, I'll be back a week from now at the same time. And I'm pretty <laughs> certain he thought I wouldn't come back because I showed back up next week in a different rental car, different dress clothes. And he says, oh, you're back. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I was serious. serious about this. And so it's worked out great. Um, you know, they've built our barns that we have. Uh, we buy hay and straw from them. But also we have uh, one of the family members today, they'll lamb out about 40 ewes for us. So our prime market is those January lambs into Christmas lambs. And with our facilities that we have today, we don't have enough space to lamb those mm-hmm. uh, ewes. So we'll take those ewes over. Levon and his kids, it's actually pretty cool because it's the kids' projects, and so he's teaching them. Really? Yeah. it's awesome. And they're feeding some ewe lambs out for us um, right now as well. And so then once those, you know, you have a bunch of people that come through and look at lambs. We sell lambs privately. We sell them on online sales. And then once those lambs are ready to be weaned and come back in, then it's almost like we have a fresh set mm-hmm. to sell. That no one's gone through. That nobody's gone through. So it, it's kind of cool. Um, but what I learned uh, three years ago, one of uh, the Amish families, sheep won the Division One at Arizona. Oh, boy. And I was like, Joe, I want to tell them. Mm-hmm. But they can't really be involved in competition, mm-hmm. and so I felt be like, so you bad. Sold that land for how much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the then the price is going to go up, you know. Yeah. But no, they've they've turned into really good friends. Um, they take care of them just like Joe would take care of them. Yeah. Uh, we provide all the feed. Uh, some of our keeper ewe lambs right now, uh, they have names mm-hmm. because the little girl's named them, and it's her favorite one to pick out. Oh. So it's been very good. They've been very good to us. Um, we help them out. They help us out. So the reason the reason I know that story was because when I went up there with, I think I went up with Kyler right before, I think, Indiana, and there was two sheep, and no one, you, Joe was telling me, yeah, no one's seen these. They just got here from our satellite, you know, the Amish. And we were like, Amish did good. Like, these are, weren't, they were like high sellers for you guys that year, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, we sold a $10,000 weather uh, that year at Premier 10. Um, so that was kind of fun, and we do joke, and everybody always asks now because they know we have these Amish sheep. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, what's coming in from the Amish yeah, guy? We you want know? those ones. Those <laughs> are the good ones. So, um, you know, I think everyone who raises sheep competitively, I mean, like you all do and, and like a lot of people do, you can you can take a look at those those ewes they have and the lambs they have and be like, yeah, you know, that's that's a hob sheep right there. You know, hey, that's a, you know, that's a Johnson sheep. And, you know. I think of that as a stout, you know, round-bodied, you know, wide-skeletoned, you know, you know, thick one that's attractive. You know, where did you guys 
where where did that kind come from, or, or or where did you learn that, or or acquire the, you know the love for those kind of sheep, I guess. Well, Jake, I knew this was probably going to come up, and uh, people that are close to Hob Show Lambs, or they ask me about breeding decisions, or they ask me about like what are you going to mate that one to, or how she bred, or what type of ewes do you have. And I always have to tell people, that's a Joe question. Mm -hmm. Because when we look at like our roles in the operation, that's really what Joe does. But one of the things that Joe has held true to is raising the type of sheep that he likes. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, like whenever I talk to Brad Dale about like, hey, this is what Joe wants to breed stuff to. He's like, well, that's going to work. You got more muscle than most people realize, you know. So I'm very thankful that Joe continues on that. Um, and being, you know, being the guy that's out there every day, he wants to raise sheep that he likes to look at. Mm-hmm. And that's really, as you described him, something that he likes to look at. And so mm-hmm. I'm thankful for that. But any more detail past this, it's definitely a Joe question. Well, I'm still going to ask a couple of those kind of questions uh, just to throw a couple uh, fastballs at you. I mean, those kind of user to have out in the field, especially bread, those look great, you know. Just they're always fleshy. They're always going to look good. You know, even in the jugs when they, you know, their bags are full, they're still in good shape. Kind of easy sheep to keep around, would you say? Yeah, they're easy sheep to keep around. They're also uh, great sheep to look at when we got the Kansas sunset going mm-hmm. and and at our place there. Um, but if you didn't have sheep that you didn't like to look at every day, why would you have it? Why mm-hmm. would you enjoy getting up and doing that, especially if that's your full time job? Um, but when you look at the ewes, like if you look at the ewes that we're putting together for our bread ewe sale, uh, that's what they're going to be made like, some of our donors and what we're trying to buy um, and build our foundation around. Um, that's what they look like. So I'm very thankful that he has an eye and that's what he's wanting to do with the program. Mm-hmm. So your donor program, how long have you guys been, been fleshing donors and, and I guess what year did that start for you? Well, that I think it first started back um, probably seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. We had two old ewes that we hauled to um, Jeff Rapaski's, mm-hmm. and we flushed up there, and we got spoiled from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we didn't have enough. This I shouldn't say we because we weren't necessarily married at that mm-hmm. time or even engaged. We were just dating. Um, we didn't have enough recepts. One ewe had like 23 eggs, and oh the gosh. other ewe had like 18 eggs. You know, these were old ewes that were just good production-oriented ewes. Um, John Crawford flushed at that time. And so that was our start, and we were kind of addicted ever since. Yeah, yeah we can't never not do this anymore. Yeah, but since then, um, we've had some bust. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's like the law of averages um, with our donor program today. I totally agree. I mean, even with AIs, like, if you have an incredible day, just know you're having a bad one coming. Like, it always kind of evens itself out to about 50%, it seems like. Yeah, we'll, um, so our first flush that we do, we do it in August. Mm -hmm. And so we'll flush 18 ewes is what we did this year um, on that flush day. And we flush a lot of virgin yearlings, uh, just knowing that that should be some of the best genetics that you have in the flock and trying to give them back or get that back into the program quicker. Mm -hmm. So we count on some zeros. Mm -hmm. Um, Our second day that we just did, we have had 12 donors, knowing that we're probably going to have some busts in there, just to make sure that you do have the amount of eggs that you need, because it's not only about the eggs that you get that day, it's about the conception rate in those recips Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it's not like, I mean, with AI, there's there's a few things that can go wrong. The semen could be bad, the, the timing of the cedar pole can be bad, and then, you know, how stressed they are when they go home. But with a flush, oh my gosh, there's 20 different things that can go minorly wrong, 
and mess the whole thing up for you. Yeah, it's um, I mean, you're kind of messing with Mother Nature. She's in she's in control. Uh, one of the things that we really believe in is uh, we work a hundred percent with Reproduction Specialty Group, Dr. Tad Thompson out of Lebanon, Indiana. They put all of our semen up. Uh, we feed their pellet. Uh, we are on their program. Um, we do everything that they tell us to do, trying to just keep things consistent mm-hmm. um, as possible because you're, you're putting so much money into this program. Why not do it the best that you can? Yeah. And so we, you know, a few years ago we were getting, Kansas is kind of off the beaten path for people to come flush use because there's just, or even AI use, there's not a ton of uh, breeders doing that. And once we started getting more numbers, we host some open AI days where people can haul in, um, other people haul in um, outside of the, the state as well. People come from Iowa, people come from Oklahoma, Missouri. And once we started doing that, then it made sense that we could just go 100% on RSG's program um, with Tad and Leo in the team. And so that's who we utilize. We've been very happy. Uh, This year's been a great year in terms of the numbers that we've averaged and how semen sales have went just because of what they've taught us to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's something you can definitely learn, um, you know, from this whole livestock world is – you know, if you're consistent and you put effort and work into it, it's gonna you're gonna get a lot luckier. Whether you're feeding show lambs, whether you're flushing ewes, or you know just running a business in general. Yeah, it's not only what you put into it, but it's also like the health of your animals mm-hmm. and just making sure that you're taking care of them to the best of your ability. And I think that you know a lot of our success today is because Joe's able to be there full time. Mm-hmm. And be able to like monitor the use, give 120% into the program and into management of those to try to maximize what your potential either flushing or your AI conception rate is, or if your rams are fertile when you need to use them, and also how you just manage those animals through breeding season. For sure. And so, you know, everyone has their own kind of livestock that they like, and, you know, you have, I have my kind, and, and, and my buddies have their kind, and we can agree on, on that, and it's fine. But you and Joe are married, so, you know, there's going to be those discussions. Do you guys have, you guys like the same kind of sheep? Do you always agree on what's good and what's bad, or, or is there some, you know, argument there every once in a while? Oh, well, I'm pretty blunt. Yeah. So I always just go to the faults. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to work on that when we're looking at our own stock or we're talking about things that we like. Um, I often yield to him, Jake. You know, he, he gets to see what we're doing every day, what we need, how we need to advance those. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things that, you know, we do argue about. Um, he'll like a little bit more power. I might want a little bit more look, depending upon what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, though, when it comes to – to sell season, like I'm a hundred percent engaged because I want to go, you know, do good. And those are the times where we probably have the most heated conversations because we often joke or I joke like, Hey, I need to fill the grain bin. Like I need to get paid. Mm-hmm. Joe's like, I need to make better sheep. So I don't want to sell the best ones. And yeah. I'm like, no, I want to go have like the high yeah. seller, you know, like yeah. I want to do good. It's a lot. It's you're going to go to those sales anyways, go hang out with your friends. It's a lot more fun if you bring home the banner. Correct. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and that's the competitive nature in me. Uh, Joe's just kind of laid back and, you know, uh, a few years ago we keep this spreadsheet and we share it and, I was going through there, and we always, like, put, like, how much we sell them for and who buys it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, somebody by the name of Joe was like wrote by every ULAM. And I'm like, gosh, this guy's buying a lot, but he's not paying for oh, anything. No. <laughs> oh, no. So Joe's, Joe's a hoarder, um, but it's okay. You know, he's let me, you know, have some good engagements, as I call them. You know, we were ready to go to Reno this year. That didn't happen. Oh, um, but we put the buck on the online sale. Uh, road trip. We sold him to Miller's ha- Miller Hamps and Seagraves. Uh, so that was fun. It was definitely an entertaining night in the house that night whenever the Ram was selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe was watching the sale. I think I was having a few beverages. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people watched that. I watched it. That was that was pretty cool. You know, I think everyone was a little bit heartbroken after Reno, but, you know, when I think we're, I don't know if you all were the, the first ones to have your Reno consignment online sale, but I think after that, a lot of people were like, hey, let's let's do the same thing Hobbs did and, and sell these things online. Yeah, it actually started um, with w- what we called the Premier offering. Mm-hmm. So once we knew that Premier 10 and Midwest Elite was canceled, um, we called Justin Nathan and said, hey, can we put together a Premier offering? We're going to, you know, I think I can get uh, Droppers and more tweeds on board, hilds on board. All of us have been selling sheep together for a long time. Um, what if we all put our sheep together that we're going to go sell and we'll just have an online sale? Mm-hmm. And so that's where we first thought of that concept this year. And that sale went extremely well. Um, we sold a, a buck for good money. Droppert sold like $8,000 really cool um, ULAM on that sale. Hilds had a great consignment. And so from there, we're like, okay, we got confident. And if these sales are canceled and we still put the good stock out there, people are still going to be searching, Mm -hmm. especially because in those sales, like we're selling high quality ULAMs, we're selling Rams, and people are still going to be looking. Uh, We did sell a few weathers in there, but everything worked out. um, And SC was very, you know, most of the time you have, you might have a sale with like five or seven and you're like, oh man, Justin, is this worth your time? Mm -hmm. But he knew we were going to put a deep set, and so we were pretty confident going forward that we could have online sales this year, given what's going on. For sure. And I think we talked about that in Barrett's pre-sort. You know, there is a, there's a portion of people who, you know, didn't go out and buy stock this year, but those people who, were, you know, go every single year and try hard and, and do well, they still are going to buy stock, and they're still going to show. And, you know, I think a lot of people expected the industry to kind of, like, taper off a little bit you know financially but you know it was really I was very impressed with how sales seasons went and how how all that went and people were still you know guns a-blazing we're going to show this fall yeah I don't you know people at work even ask me like hey has this impacted you and it really hasn't impacted us Mm -hmm. and I think going into breeding season people were also like well is it going to impact semen sales and we haven't seen that stop either. People are still moving forward. Um, you still got to raise good stock. If you want to have a competitive operation, mm-hmm. you can't stop. If you stop for one year, other people are going to get ahead. Three years ahead in you know, one year. And so that's what Joe and I just kind of, we, we said, hey, we got to go. We can afford it if we need to. Um, but if we want to be aggressive and progressive with what we're doing, we can't stop. And the same has been said when we're selling our ULAMs online with the semen sales, like sheep breeders out there aren't stopping. And I think mm-hmm. it's because when you see things being put together, like what Steva did at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. what the Ohio people did, what Curtis Bain did at California, people get behind things and breeders are going to be committed to mm-hmm. figuring out how to make things happen for the youth. And I think that's where it's really cool when we work in an industry that comes together in the end. 
for the right reasons. And not only it didn't stop for the breeders, but it hasn't stopped for the youth today. And I think people really need to be thankful for that, especially if you're the mom and dad that's bought club lambs and you haven't had a place to show. Everybody has worked together to ensure that they have places to show. And I think that that is so cool when you think about it. You know, there's sports teams today in high schools, middle schools that they can't even play. Mm -hmm. But in the livestock industry, like, we've all came together and we've figured it out. Yeah. I thought it was incredible. I think all those the state fairs are going to happen probably next year. But I, I, I honestly do think all those new youth state-by-state state youth expos, I think they're going to get continue to have those and, and just have more shows and I think honestly going forward when all this is over with the industry is going to be better than it was before we're going to have more shows more opportunities and and you know a, a larger spectrum of, of stuff to be involved in yeah I think people will come together for the kids mm -hmm. and a lot of these people that are coming together they also have kids and so they know that they need to keep the momentum together mm -hmm. but we're better together than teams or whoever sitting along oh, yeah. sitting on the outside like not getting along but when you know two minds are better than one and so when everybody comes together and to do the right thing like these things will stick around hopefully mm -hmm. and we need to give our kids more opportunities to show the sheep mm -hmm. you know i did notice a, a, a little bit different vibe at, at the few sales that did happen this year like especially young guns and, and maybe some of the state fairs this summer people are a little bit happier to see each other you know, I've noticed in, in compared to years past, and I think that's really cool. Um, just the perspective that this whole experience gave everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, we back in, you know, February, March, we didn't know what was going to come. And then, you know, come Young Guns, come the, the breakout cell in Woodward. Like, it was just awesome being able to be there with your friends versus locked up in your house or not being able to travel. And you enjoyed that time with people more this year than you probably have in the past. Mm -hmm. For sure. So uh, as we're winding down, I just want to ask a few more questions about, um, you know, trends in Hobbs show lambs. Um, sheep in the past five years have gotten a lot better very fast. And I think, you know, as we talked about, you know, the flush programs that are getting widespread and AI is so common and, and genetics are so easy to access. Um, how do you guys stay on top of those? I mean, you, you made a lot of buck moves and bred to a lot of, you know, those top-end bucks, but, but how do you guys make those, those steps to keep you ahead? Yeah, so we, we get out, we divide and conquer, um, and we just go see what's out there. Um, you know, we, I, I'm a firm believer, and so is Joe, that we have to see what's going on in the industry to know what we either need to change about our program, what's the next buck out there either that we raised or a buck that we think we want to buy semen on. And so we often take a lot of road trips, um, and we, we call them like – business meetings you know or so we'll you know we'll go to texas um we'll stop at a few breeders house we'll go into oklahoma we'll stop at a few breeders house joe and his friends will take a trip to iowa i'll go to california and just see what's out there mm -hmm. so we know what is working and that's one of the ways that we like to stay on top also you know with champion drive today um and what steve is doing behind that like you can see what everybody has mm -hmm. the winners that they have bucks that they have 
semen that's out there. Um, there's great avenues to be progressive. But what we like to do as well is in the summertime when it's a little bit quiet is just take a road trip and go through somebody's keeper pen. Mm-hmm. Because then you can see like, okay, what buck worked at their house? Or also see like what buck didn't work mm-hmm. that you may not want to breed to. Um, but we, we get excited about that. You know, our honeymoon we actually went to Montana and stayed on a commercial sheep production farm and got to know more people in that area. Hey, you guys want some help? (laughs) So it's just like our, that's our passion. Like it's a non-negotiable. We, we enjoy that. Um, Also you get to see like how other people run their operations. You get to take some ideas back into what you want to do. Um, But that's one of the things that we do. Definitely. Okay. So one last little question for you. So let me paint this picture. So say you have, you know, X amount of dollars, 40, 20, 20 grand to spend on a ram for your flock. And you have to pick one of your friends to take your checkbook and go find you a ram. No questions asked, no pictures, just brings it back to you and he's yours. And you can't take it back. One person that you would hands down and be like, yeah, go ahead. One person. And you take your time. Is this like a, a mutual friend of Joe and I? No, just and no, no, no. You're, it has nothing to do with me. Whatever. And, and uh, there might be more than one person, but I don't know. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna answer it with a caveat. What's a caveat? So, the two guys that come to mind first. Neither one of them really travel. Mm-hmm. So that'd be Dwayne Herleman or Brad Dale. But I think who I would land on is Barrett Carlisle. So Barrett and Joe, they're inseparable. They, mm-hmm. they talk all the time. And I think that that's probably what Joe would say too. Um, they talk about sheep they like. Um, Barrett's been to our house a bunch of times. Um, so I think that that's who Joe would feel the most comfortable giving our checkbook to um, and saying, hey, Barrett, go find it if we couldn't you know, do those things. Um, there is a, a, a funny story with that, though is that Joe didn't go to Premier 10 one year, Mm -hmm. and Colby Birch was selling this really cool-looking ewe lamb, and we had just sold a high-dollar ram. And I'm like, Barrett, do you think think she's okay if I buy it? And Barrett's like, oh, yeah, let's buy her. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And Joe and I had kind of talked about her, and Joe gave me a budget. Mm -hmm. Well, Dave Delaney knows us pretty well, and Joe's at home watching on the Internet, and – I quit bidding at like three times the budget Joe gave me because we weren't <laughs> spending a bunch of money at that time. And Dave Delaney's like, come on, Megan, bid one more time. So after that, it probably took Joe a little, you know, a few years to trust Barrett and I together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely <laughs> know he would trust Barrett if you said, hey, Barrett, here's a checkbook. Go buy a Ram. There you go. I'm sure Barrett Carlisle's sitting in his truck smiling whenever he hears that. Huge compliment. He's probably thinking, when's Joe going to give me that checkbook? (laughs) Yeah, let me see some of that money. Well, thank you, Megan. I had a great time. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Um, It was an honor. You know, I'm a big fan of Legendary Mindset. Uh, What you're doing, I think you're a great success story, too, when you think back about how you grew up, um, how aggressive you are in getting this going. I don't know how you juggle all the balls you have in the air at one time, um, but Joe and I are super proud of you. It's been good knowing you as well, um, and we enjoy watching you. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Jake.